Good morning, Mercy Road. How are we doing? Hey, if I haven't met you, my name is Pastor Mike Lotzer. I'm the lead pastor here, and happy Advent season to you. As Carrie mentioned, Advent is a churchy word that means coming. We anticipate the coming birth of the Messiah, Jesus. We're starting a new sermon series today, and let me explain my rationale as to why we're doing this series with a question. What day of the year for Americans is the most deadly for heart attacks? Anybody know? Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. What did we say? When the bill arrives? Yeah, actually, that, that, that is a, a spike for depression, according to a study I've read. That's usually around the 24th of January. So that is a, a, a good guess. But it is Christmas Eve. 40% rise of heart attacks on Christmas Eve. Most of them happen at 10 p.m. or around that period on Christmas Eve. Now, why would that be the case? Because Easter has no correlation of a higher percentage of heart attacks. But then again, for Easter and other holidays, we don't spend a good four to five weeks ramping up and amping up and rushing around and doing a ton of stuff, do we, like we do for Christmas. Our culture is crazy when it comes to Christmas time. And the month of December is packed with stuff. A recent study uh, polled people in our country about the 25 most stressful things about these holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, in our lives, gift shopping, crowds and lines, cleaning, anybody relate? Knowing what to get people. So there's always that person in your life that's just impossible to buy a gift for, right? Cooking, shopping for food. Have you ever been in Costco and, and just had thoughts of suicidal ideation or murderous thoughts, you know? Like that one guy who's just going to cut you off with the cart to get his fourth sample from the same place, right? Uh, how much to spend on other people? decorating, whether the kids are going to be happy with their presents, wrapping those presents, hosting, family politics, making sure everybody is treated fairly, working out how to visit everyone you need to. Anyone relate to some of these? What food to prepare, where to spend Christmas Day, hearing constant Christmas music, old arguments being brought up, someone drinking too much, home repairs and upgrades, whether to put a Christmas spending on the credit card or paying cash, me or my partner having to work too much over the holiday, my partner not helping out enough, other people being too jolly, that actually made the list. You know who you are, yeah? You start listening to Christmas music in July. A new recipe turning out badly, Pinterest fails, right? Whether to go out for Christmas dinner or stay at home. These are the top 25 stressful things. And I would add, as a pastor, for a lot of us, Added to the stress is a layer of grief, right? Because we, we keep thinking about who's not at Christmas dinner. The holidays are a very difficult time. We have a tradition here at Mercy Road. If you've lost someone in your life and you want to remember them and honor them during the holiday season, any time in the month of December, you can bring in a little uh, three by five or small photo in a little frame and put it in our prayer chapel. And they can just live there, that little photo as a reminder. And when you feel the grief that is often felt more acutely during the holiday season. You're here on Sunday, just, just go into that prayer chapel and just, just pour out your heart to God. Whatever you're dealing with this December in the ramp up to this holiday season, this is the one question that I feel like applies to all of us, and it is the name of the series, What I Am Not Doing for Christmas. What I Am Not Doing for Christmas. So each Sunday... Starting today, we're going to be asking that question and looking to God's word to answer the question 
Uh, we'll also have 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. Christmas Eve services that will continue that theme. So we're going to jump to a non-conventional uh, part of Scripture. This wouldn't normally be associated with a Christmas or an Advent text. It's Psalm 62. It's written by a man on the run, and that's kind of our problem, right, that we're tackling in this series. We're always on the run. He knows what it's like to be on the run, and yet, even though in his case, this is David writing the psalm, he was literally running for his life. He had the wherewithal to stop and rest in God and wait on God and, and trust in God for his salvation. So this is a blueprint for us as we talk about the discipline of simplicity. Truly, my soul finds rest in God, David writes. My salvation comes from him. Now, just stop there. This isn't typically what we tell ourselves when we're on the run, when we're in that traffic jam at Costco, when we are debating over that difficult holiday tradition and whether we can be there or there. We don't instinctually do this, but David has learned how to do this. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Anybody feel shaken in past Christmas seasons? You don't have to be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down? Now he's kind of talking um, metaphorically to the enemies chasing him. This leaning wall, this tottering fence, surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. He's feeling persecuted, and maybe some of us today feel that way. Our circumstances feel like they're conspiring against us. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. And then he returns to kind of this preaching to himself. Yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Now that's an interesting part, that highlighted part, because have you ever kind of done what David's doing where you're kind of talking to your circumstances and your enemies and saying, come on, they're coming after me. It's all against me. The world's against me. But you don't make that turn and you don't kind of pull out of that nosedive and you, you don't say, yes, my soul finds rest in God. You just keep going down that road of complaining and lamenting and you know it doesn't end well. Yes, my soul finds rest in God, David writes. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Now he turns and he's speaking to the plural community. It's like his personal lament and prayer is now going to become a blueprint for other people. Trust him, all y'all. That's literally what the Hebrew says. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. And he's modeling, David is modeling what it looks like to pour out one's heart to God. Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. He's saying this income equality thing, you might have a lot of money, you might have no money, it doesn't really matter. If weighed on a balance, they're nothing. Together they're only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in goods. You might cross goods out and put Christmas presents and toys and stuff, right? Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Make sure that you own stuff, but stuff doesn't own you. It's another way to translate that. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God. And with you, Lord, is unfailing love. One of the best 
terms in the whole Bible. It's the Hebrew word hesed, unbreakable covenantal love that keeps going even when you don't show up and you're not faithful to God, he's still faithful to you. You reward everyone according to what they have done. Simplicity. So that's kind of the theme as we pull out some meaning and application from 62, Psalm 62. We live in a world of complexity. We're in a season that literally kills people at the end of it with a lot of heart attacks. We're just stressed out as a culture. And so how do we simplify? How do we do less? What am I not doing for Christmas? It looks like my slides, uh, my uh, remote died here. So if we can take over from the booth. Oh, we're caught up. The first uh, thing I'd like us to, to talk about replacing, because you really do have to replace something. You can't just quit anything. You're always going to replace it with something. Everyone knows that. You work with anyone with an addiction, for example. So let's replace running with resting. Running with resting. Now, if you, if you don't get disciplined or intentional in December, here's what you're going to do. You're going to run, and you're going to run, and you're going to run, and you're going to get tired, and then you're going to run some more. You're going to run from this event to that event, to Walmart, to Costco, to the mall, back home, to this movie, to that Netflix show, to this awkward conversation, to that awkward dinner. You're going to run, you're going to run, and you're not going to rest. Because did you know that the absence of working is not the same thing as rest? Rest is hard, and it's maybe harder for our culture than any other culture before it. Because our technology goes with us everywhere. Rest requires downshifting. Next week, we're going to talk about Sabbath rest and why that discipline is a gift to us, not a curse. And we're, we're just going to look at the, the internal reasoning that, that God has expressed through his scripture and as to why we need to have a rhythm of every six days, we just need to go into deep rest. Most of us don't do this. Verse 1 in Psalm 62, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. And then verse 5, yes, my soul finds rest in God. This word in the text is kind of an interesting word for rest. There's a, a few different words for rest in, in the Hebrew language that the Old Testament is written in, just like there's different words in English for rest. This is not the primary one. It is called damam. As in, like, the mom in the family runs way too hard and probably needs a break and a pedicure and all that. The mom, it's, a, it's an interesting little word because it means kind of an anticipatory, silent repose. Uh, it's not necessarily the same thing as Shabbat, which is the, the traditional word in Hebrew for rest, where we get our word Sabbath. It's not that intentional, systematic resting of Sabbath, it's, it's kind of a, a just silent pause that needs to happen right away. Have you ever watched a movie that was like a war movie, and whether the battle took place in the 15th century or modern warfare, you see the combat from the person's eyes in the movie, and it's loud and it's intense, and then there's always that moment in most war scenes where it's almost like the audio goes out and, and you're underwater, like you're hearing things, but it's, it's muted. And it's almost like one would hear underwater and you're seeing from that person's point of view. And it's like the stimulus around them overloaded all their circuits and now they can't hear the battle sounds anymore and everything gets quiet. It's like they were forced into this peculiar type of rest, damam. And maybe that was David's case. Maybe he had run so hard and he had 
worried so long and he had tried to control everything and his circumstances weren't going well and he just got so overwhelmed by the battle around him that everything kind of got muted for a minute and he was forced into this type of rest. This series is an invitation for you and I to enter into this type of rest voluntarily as opposed to being forced into it when the noise and the activity just gets too much for our system to bear. What would it look like this December to say, I'm, I'm not going to just run and run and run some more. Yes, there will be running, but there will be intervals of resting. And to do that, you're going to have to say no to some things. And some of you, some of us, oh, we hate saying no, right? We don't want to disappoint. We don't want to let anybody down. We would rather run on a treadmill until we literally die than, than say no to one person, one time. And, and that comes from a, maybe a good motive. But if that's you, consider for a moment that you're going to not be able to run for other people very long if you don't learn how to replace running with rest at some time in your life. And why not lean in to the most intense part of our calendar year when it comes to running? Why not embrace rest? Secondly, just as David learned to replace running with rest, I would like us to consider what it would look like to replace worrying with waiting and a sense of wonder, waiting and wonder. How many of you are professional warriors? Raise your hand. Now look down the row and, and try to pick out who is the most worry-filled person. No, don't do that. That'd be mean. Some of you, though, you kind of like worrying, right? If you're admitting, like, it's like, you're, it's bored. There's nothing on my Facebook feed. Instagram's boring. I better start worrying. What, 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 what should I be stressed? Oh, yeah, I should be stressed out about that. Oh, there might not be enough money. And, ooh, what if my kids turn out like that? Ooh. And you just kind of have made a pastime out of worrying, even though every medical professional will tell you this is like the most toxic thing you can do for your system. This will age you faster. This will cause all kinds of problems. It's like putting sand in the gears of a machine. Worrying is toxic, and yet we do it, even though God himself, speaking to us over the centuries, tells us, don't worry. You don't have to worry. Why? You see, worrying makes all the sense in the world if there isn't a good, competent, heavenly father who has your back. But my kids don't have to worry about much because dad's there for my kids. And it would hurt my heart if they, they started to chronically worry about things like, will dad be able to feed me? Will I, will I go hungry? Will he be able to put a roof over my head? Will he be nice to me? Of course I will. I'll do anything to do because I'm their dad. Truly, he is my rock, David says, and my salvation, verse 6, and I will not be shaken. He's reminding himself of why we really don't need to worry, even though the circumstances look really, really bad, and he's not denying that. We read the whole psalm. He laments. He's frustrated. He vents. But then he reminds his own heart, hey, God's got this. God's my rock. Verse 7, my salvation and my honor depend on God. He's in a scenario where people are really 
kind of slandering him and saying really nasty things about him. And in the ancient Near East, your honor was everything. It's an honor-shame culture. There's cultures like that today. And he said, I actually don't even have to worry about the one thing that my culture says I have a right to worry about, which is my honor. Because God, God can take care of that, even that. So what's your even that? What keeps you up at night? Is it your health? Finances? Weighty responsibility at work or home? Is it not, not finding true love? If your marriage is going to make it? Are you worrying on behalf of somebody else? Whatever that is, what would it look like in this Advent season to just with open hands say, this is what stresses me out, God, and I'm just going to replace this worrying habit I've accumulated with something far more productive, which is waiting with a sense of wonder. This is what David is doing. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. You see, David had the, the benefit that many of you have. He had trusted God in small ways, and then a little bigger way, and then a little bigger way, and then a huge way, and he had seen giants topple by trusting in this God who is his rock and his refuge. And so even though what he was going through at this season in his life was absolutely hellish and terrible and painful and not fair, he could still say with intellectual honesty to himself, you're my refuge, God. I'm going to stop worrying, and I'm just going to wait for you to remedy the situation, for you to act. The waiting game is hard, right? I don't like to wait. We really don't like to wait this time of year. Sometimes I just, I, I, I'm just disgusted with myself. I, I'll be in like a, a supermarket or a Walmart and I like analyze the lines. And have you ever done that? You pick the wrong line. And then you just are getting really not Christian. You're just looking and your body language says it all. You're like, I can't believe this line is taking that long. And then the clerk says, do you want to be in the special club where you need the card? And then the one person's like, oh, I would love to. First tell me about that. And you're like, yeah. They have these at every store. What do you mean you don't need the pitch? And she gives the pitch, and then she signs the, the paperwork, and you're wondering if there's ever been a human being on planet Earth that writes slower than this person writes. And you're thinking, if I would have just been in that line. That's not the waiting I'm talking about. I'm talking about a different type of waiting, a waiting that is fueled by a sense of wonder, a holy curiosity, if you will. You're waiting on test results? And rather than just worrying and letting that knot form in your stomach, you just say, God, you have done more than I can ask, think, or imagine. You've already died for me. You've already taken care of the sin problem eternally in my life. You did create me. Everything I've ever found remotely fascinating or good or amazing, that was your idea. You are God, and by definition, omnipresent and you can do anything, you know all things, and you have my best interest in mind. And so I just wonder, as I wait, I wonder how you're going to move. You know, it's like when you have a really good sports team and you're watching them. And I mean a really good sports team, not the ones that we have in our state that just are really good at disappointing us. Anyone else watch the Gophers yesterday? I don't even like football. Now I really don't like football. That was hard to watch. As a side note, I'm, I'm sorry to Gopher fans. That might have been my fault. It seems like whenever I watch something for the first time in a winning season, they lose. It was the first Gophers game I saw. 
if you'd like to put a little frame picture of the Golden Gophers in, in the chapel and pray, that, that's another thing. Not too far. But as we wait, with a sense of wonder, it is possible, I believe David shows us, to not just be encouraged, but to be grown in that waiting room. Waiting rooms make us the men and women that God has always wanted us to be. Is it possible that God has you waiting for something, not to torment you, but for your good? That he wants to do something in your life that literally can't be done any other way other than waiting with a sense of wonder and anticipation and trust. Thirdly, what if we replaced riches with rich relationships? Question for you, what did you get three Christmases ago? Name your two favorite gifts. Anybody? Whenever I ask questions like that this year, people immediately have this look that you have on your face, and they're like, oh my gosh, all this stuff that we spend all this money on must really not matter, because I can't think of a single thing. Anybody bought something, maybe, you know, you want to confess, we're in church here, like, during the, the stampede that was Black Friday or Cyber Monday, and you, and you really told your heart that, man, once I get this flat screen TV, once I get this new DeWalt chop top, once I get this brand new car in the perfect color, once I get that subscription, I'll be happy, and then you're not. And then it's just like, oh, what a letdown. And then the bill comes. And you wonder, am I just spending lots of money to be miserable? Spending money I don't have to impress people that I don't really need to impress on stuff that, that really overpromised and consistently under-delivered. When we make this season about toys and stuff, and I'm not against toys, I'm not against stuff, when we make it about riches, we do so at the expense of something much more valuable. What is it? Relationships. As someone who has the, the sacred privilege of sitting with a lot of people right before they die and listening to them and talking to them and praying with them, let me tell you, I don't know how many people I've, I've done that with and alongside, there have been many, and none of them to date have, have said, I just want to tell you about all the stuff I've bought. So if you just got a half an hour, I've made a list of all my favorite things. And I just want to, in detail, with like tears in my eyes, just cherish. Let's start with my first car. And then the, there, there was that TV in the 1980s. It was the first TV that I had that I really felt the pit. No one says that. Everyone wants to talk to me about the relationships that matter most in their life, the regrets they have over those relationships, and the joy that the relationship brought. It's either a sorrow fest conversation, full of regret, I wish I would have been there, I wish I wouldn't have worked as much, I wish I would have given my kids the gift of experiences and not just more stuff. I wish I would have been a better spouse, I wish I would have been a better son or father, I wish I would have reconciled that relationship and now here I sit on my deathbed and I never had the moral courage to trust God, forgive them and reconcile the relationship. I wish, I regret or the greatest gift in my life has been those kids. My spouse has brought me so much joy. I feel like I can transition into eternity now because 
I was not a perfect person, but I did right by them. Is it possible that if we just go along with the current of this December, this consumeristic culture, we will sacrifice the thing that matters most to us, our rich relationships, because we're too busy pursuing riches, too busy trying to think about what we can buy each other? Presents are fine. They're good things. They're not ultimate things. People matter more than riches. Trust in him at all times, you people, David says. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are a breath, the highborn a lie. If weighed on a balance, they're nothing. Together they are a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in goods or Christmas presents. Though your riches increase, do not set your hearts on them. Do you notice all the pronouns? They're all plural. He switched tone and tense. He's talking to all of us. You see, community, family, relationships, and ultimately our relationship with our Heavenly Father, that is what matters, and that is what your thirsty soul wants more than the next party, more than the next promotion, more than the next present. What would it look like in this Advent season to stop running and start resting? What would it look like to stop worrying and instead just waiting on God to act with a sense of wonder and trust? What would it look like to replace this fascination, obsession with riches and rather put that energy into cultivating rich, healthy, God-honoring relationships. That's our, that's our goal in this series. We're going to end this sermon in a way that is very countercultural and hard for a lot of us. We're going to end with a full minute of meditative relative silence. We're going to play just some light instrumental in the background because I know a lot of you would probably just go crazy if it was completely silent. But, but, but allow yourself, and I will too, to feel that, to do a little business with the Lord, and to just rest, to apply. And I'll come back and we'll do a benediction and we'll go out into this Advent season.
that people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah 9, 2. Would you stand for the benediction? simply means good word as we go. May our gracious God bless and keep you. May his face shine upon you this Advent season and give you profound peace. May you, with the power of the Holy Spirit, through the forgiving love of Jesus Christ and the provision of God the Father, learn to replace running with resting. Learn to stop worrying and start waiting with a sense of wonder and learn how to trust him as you grow the relationships that matter most. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, have a great week. See you next Sunday.